We're uh, pretty excited to have our first elk camp segment tonight. We are uh, very happy that we have a special guest on tonight, Travis O'Shea from Wapiti River. Uh, I just want to say um, thank you very much, Trav, for taking the time. I know you're uh, you're super busy right now, getting ready for a massive elk elk hunt and camp with your buddies. So, yeah, thank you very much for popping on. Hey, um, thanks. thanks for having me. I also want to say, you know, um, I've been using your stuff since I look back in my emails and the farthest back I can find a message to you was like 2015. So okay. uh, I don't, I'm going to ask you for a little history on uh, Wapiti River, but um, I tried a couple of calls, a couple of reads early, early on when I was trying to figure out how to use a read properly. Sure. And then uh, stumbled onto your website, ordered a bunch of different ones from you, and really didn't turn back from there. Uh, the dome read is what I you know, I try to use all domes, which uh, which yeah. you make, and uh, tried a whole bunch. You know, some of my I are the the Black Widow, the Mayhem, the Patriot, the Chuckler. Um, virtually every one I've ever tried has worked for me. It's just a you kind of settle into your favorites, so. You could yeah. just give us a, a, a quick overview and, and history on, on Wapiti River and how you got started sure. in that. I'm sure the, the members would be interested in that. Yeah, so you're not far off there, Chuck, because uh, I actually started Wapiti in 2013. And um, basically, it was just on a whim. I started entering uh, some of the, the Canadian Calling Championships and then the Worlds and stuff like that. And I was just... How, how, how it really started us struggling to find a good read that would do stuff on stage that I was trying to do. And uh, <clears throat> I just got fed up and I thought, well, I'm going to try making my own. So I tore apart a couple of different brands just to see what they looked like and how they worked. And <laughs> the first read I made was actually like a latex glove that I cut up and I just sandwiched it between, you know, a piece, couple pieces of aluminum and I used duct tape for the tape. So it was a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> and uh, it actually worked. I could make some pretty good sounds on it. And uh, so got lucky on that. And then from there, it just it just snowballed to where we are now. Like we're, I think we're, I guess we're 12. Well, yeah, we're 10 years into it now. So um, kind of just started, you know, I was just building them for friends. You know, that's how usually everything starts. And then it turned into a business kind of all on its own. You know, there's not much, especially in Canada, there's not a whole lot of, other people doing it and stuff so i kind of took the niche there and kind of ran with it so but uh yeah. but going back you know, how i got started was just i was a little kid i used to use wayne carlton uh reads and stuff like that when i started and basically it just took off from there my dad and them didn't really call a whole lot of elk they hunted elk but we always push push you know from cut line to cut line kind of thing scaring them out for uh, for a rifle shot and then once I got old enough, I could hunt on my own. That's kind of when the calling took over and um, the passion started burning, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, definitely, um, it's definitely an addiction and a passion. Once, once you've hunted elk and you get that first bugle coming back, yeah, uh, it's crazy, right? That's where it starts. Awesome. So, so basically, started in 2014 and kind of went from there, and uh, yeah, been on the on the road wow. since then. So, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk for a couple minutes more about this. I'm real curious on the uh, 
on the elk calling circuit. So there's a Canadian circuit and a U.S. circuit then? Yeah, they're, they're back in the day when I first started, there used to be just a Canadian elk calling championships is what it was. And mm -hmm. that only went for, I think, two or three years. And then um, I don't know if there was, wasn't enough interest in it or something happened with the organization and it kind of went kaput after a little while. And then so 2013, I started calling um, in the World Elk Calling Championships down in Las Vegas. And so that was awesome. Um, be brutally honest with you, the first couple of years I called in it, you're nervous as all heck going over there, you know? <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah, you can I imagine. You walk, you walk up on stage, you're just shaking all over the place. <laughs> like, oh, I got to call against that guy and that guy. And, oh, I seen that guy on TV, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, first couple of years, I absolutely bombed. And then I really started putting a lot of practice in. And um, 2015, I come back and actually made the finals, uh, top six of the finals. And then after the finals was all said and done, I actually won third place in the world. So first, second, and third year class was the world champion. And so yeah. I guess uh, basically in the pro division, I'm, I believe I'm still the only one that has that title of world champion. So okay. it's pretty cool. cool. You know, a little, little guy from Grand Prairie, Alberta, who would think something, yeah. right? So, <laughs> but yeah, so it's pretty fun. And then I just kind of go back every year since and, keep trying to better your odds and, and, you know, try to get higher and higher up on the, on the, on the stage. But I tell you, these guys that are coming up, there's a lot of really good callers and Matt, any one of those guys on there out of, out of the 30, 40 guys that are there, any one of those guys can win at any time, honestly. So just matters what the judges hear and what, what they want to hear that day, really. So. Yeah, I suppose it's pretty subjective, right? With the judging, the, uh, you know, the, uh, they know what they want to hear when they set up the scenario and it's just a yep. matter of uh you know how it's delivered and what they what they think they're hearing right so yeah well exactly. that's cool yeah well i i know the canadian uh, elk hunting community is uh, super proud of you know having a having you as a canadian down there you know competing with the likes of the i guess Corey jacobson's of the world and phelps yep. and all those guys right so yeah awesome you got Brian Langley and Joel Turner. I mean, those those cats yeah. have been around forever. They they've won it all, and just to sit with those guys and and call with them is honestly a complete honor. Because otherwise, you'd never get to hang out with them, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, awesome. Well, you know, let's segue into um, calling, and in particular. Um, there's a lot of, you know, I, I know it's pretty daunting and overwhelming. Uh, Blake's kind of going through this right now. I, I went through it back in 2015 or so learning how to okay. use a mouth read. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe any tips and tricks you can offer, uh, the new people that are trying to learn how to, how to get away without swallowing a read, right? Yeah, for sure. So what I'll start off with is just the basics, really, honestly, like you have, so you have a read, you know. Most of the new companies now all have domes on them, stuff like that, like the pink dome. This is just a cow-calf call. This is one of my sassies. So it's a really light latex, like 25 thou, and the stretch is nice and light. When you're starting out, that's kind of what you want. You want a read that is going to be super easy to make sound on. So literally how it works, it'll sit on your tongue. The tip of your tongue is the front, and it stays down in your lower teeth, kind of, as low as you can keep it. So your tongue mm -hmm. is kind of arching 
basically is what's going on at arches. Basically, it'll kind of, if I hold it, it'll kind of, it'll kind of do something like that, really. Okay. And basically what you're trying to do, you're using the air in your diaphragm. And I always tell people just hiss like a snake. So just real light. You're not like hammering air, just real light. And then if you put the reed on your tongue with the latex facing out, so like this, I got raise it up into the roof of your mouth and just hiss air. You just get that sound and how you're getting that the latex basically once you put air across that it just starts vibrating and once that vibrating starts that's how you're getting all the sound that turns the sound on basically so from there once you get that sound i teach everybody just kind of go up to a high note controlled and then come back down so it'll sound something like this So that's just the basics, you know, and obviously that doesn't sound like an uh, elk call or anything like that. But once you learn that sound, uh, I think some guys call it the siren. I think Dirk calls it the siren. Um, I just call it like your high note to a low note. And basically, basic, what it is, is once you go up, you hit the high note. So you're learning your bugle. And then once you come down, you're learning your cow sound. So to turn that siren into a cow sound, you just start shortening it all up. So it'll go something like this. just literally just shortened it and shortened it till you get to your your kind right. of sound that you're looking for and also in that same line you got a bugle built in once you learn that siren go up to the high note and don't drop down now stay up in the high note and just go at the end with your voice so it'll be a bugle so now you got the very basic bugle all just out of that little mm -hmm. siren that you just learned so you got cow sound you got a bugle and if you shorten it up even more you'll have a calf sound so i'll shorten it shorter now you got a calf sound so you got calf you got cow and you got a bugle Right. And, you know, just, you know, one little comment I would add there, too. I think the biggest learning curve for me when I was learning how to use a read, and I know I've talked to a few other folks that have ran into this, too. You tend to uh, you tend to use too much pressure and blow too hard. And, you know, yeah. then it becomes it, it just too much pressure on the latex. You'll start burning up reeds and, um, you know, yeah. you wear them out real fast. Right. And I. I noticed yeah. my progression over, you know, five or six years when I was, you know, learning how to call. Uh, I would go through reads. This is bad news for guys selling them, but <laughs> I would go through yeah. reads quickly, right? In those days, and wear yeah. them right out. 
And now I can, you know, you can get a lot of mileage out of a read if you, you know, take care of it and, yeah. and kind of manage your pressure, right? Yeah, you're absolutely, you're right. You're learning your pressure and you're learning your air. And uh, so me nowadays, I'll take like my, my Frolicker, which is a really light um, uh, cow reed, calf reed. And then this one's my Sassy. It's equally, this one just has a little bit more tension than the Frolicker. But honestly, one of these reads will last me all September. And I mean, I'm doing all my cow calf. I'm doing all my low note um, bull sounds, you know, raking, throwing in moans and groans and chuckles and little little tiny bugles and stuff like that. Um, if you take care of your read, they do last a long time. Yeah, I mean, good stuff, Travis. I think, you know, the tips on, uh, you know, just learn the basics. There's lots of stuff on on YouTube. Um, yeah. and again, you know, respect your read and it'll work wonders for you. Yeah, um, exactly. so, um, the other thing too, I, that I noticed with, with your reads in particular is the contour, um, of the actual diaphragm itself, like the, um, I don't know what yeah. you call it, the, the base of it. Yeah. The, the outside. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. You the can, shape you, or whatever. Yeah. The shape you, you can customize that to fit the roof of your mouth with like just yeah. tweaking it. You can cut little yeah. corner off or whatever. Yeah. Your sides all kind of fold independently like yeah. that. So it's pretty. And then, yeah, yeah, if you have, if you have to go smaller, you can, you can literally just trim just a hair at a time. Yeah. Be yeah. really careful though, when you trim them, because once you go too far, you're, you're gone too far. <laughs> There's yeah, no going exactly. back. So yeah, but exactly. I find my reads fit like most adults and they fit honestly most kids. I'll give them away quite frequently at like trade shows and stuff to kids. And mm. it, they'll they'll be walking around for 10 minutes and next thing you know, they're they're squawking and making sounds all over the place. So it's just a matter of, you know, learning where to fit it in your mouth and and not being scared to try it. Right on. Cool. So once you get the elk calling down and you learn how to use a reed, it's time to hit the hit the bush and start yep. looking for the big beast. So, um, you know, obviously being from Grand Prairie, your elk hunting has been primarily Alberta, I would think. Um, yep. So, you know, your tactics and your elk are a little bit different. I've hunted um, I've hunted elk or elk in Alberta a few times myself. Yep. And um, just, you know, a couple notes on my experience up there. I was up in the in the peace country and um, I always tell people that that country is a little bit, it's kind of like the opposite of hunting in uh, southern BC. Instead of having huge mountains that you climb, you got huge canyons that you go into. Yeah. And instead of the elk going up to bed, they're going from the farmer's fields or the ag areas yeah. down into the canyons. And so you're chasing them and, and getting right down with them. Same concept yeah. though. You're, you're uh, going after them in their bedroom. Um, yeah. So I guess, you know, on that note, we're trying to cater to everybody and including the, uh, our Alberta members too. So what, yeah. when you're doing your uh, preseason scouting in Alberta, what, uh, you know, typically what kind of terrain are you looking for, for new spots? Like what's your, what's your strategy there? So honestly, what it is, if I, I try to find new areas every year just so I don't get bored. Um, Cause they, you want to be chasing like different elk every year if you can. Uh, so it all starts honestly with Google earth. Um, I hunter on X, those kind of mapping things. All I'm really looking for is here. It's all oil lease and logging roads. 
Uh, so I'm looking for cut blocks, pipelines, creeks, um, all the little feeder draws that are, you know, the ephemeral draws that are feeding all the little creeks, all of those, any kind of, any kind of water source like that, that if you can find two little creeks that go into one or two draws that go into one, good chances are probably going to be elk there. Um, cause they got to have water no matter what. So my key is number one, look for water. And then basically I'm looking for the cut blocks, all the logging slashes, pipelines, everything like that. Cause the, the pipelines have all fresh, you know, vegetation on them and the cut blocks, you know, once they start growing up, those elk are a magnet to those. Um, and obviously we have a lot of agricultural, like private land and stuff like that. I try to honestly shy away from that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not real big on going in and trying to beg for permission to hunt on someone's land. And, and even if you do get permission to hunt on that land, what if there's some other guys that have permission as well? Right. So you're bumping mm-hmm. into them. Um, mine's all crown land, what we call it here. It's, it's our, you know, it's our forest area where you can just drive in on the, on the lease roads and park your rig and jump out and walk down a cut line and find a game trail and get in there and start calling elk. It's kind of, kind of the plan. But so it all starts with the Google earth looking for really good spots. that had feed, uh, deep timber where they can get away and hide. And then they also got water. Then from there, I take those little, um, I mark up the Google earth pretty good in my eye hunter. Um, I'll have little spots. I got to check this out. I got to check that out. Oh, that looks like a, a lick or something like that. So it, it all kind of starts there. And from there, it's literally, literally, you know, drive the truck out. If you have a quad, get on the oil lease roads, number one, and just start putting down the roads. And once you cross a track, like if you see any elk tracks, or even moose tracks or anything, number one, get off your quad and look at the track and see, okay, is it going left or is it going right? Well, right away, you see a direction of those tracks. Well, now you can bring up your iHunter app or Onyx or whatever it is on your phone, and you can be like, okay, well, I'm sitting right here, and this track went went to the west. So why is he going to the west, right? There's got to be a reason those tracks are going there. So right away, it's like ding, ding, ding. Okay, it's going to water, he's going to feed, or he's going to a bedding area. So, I mean, that's the very basics of it all. And it all mm-hmm. starts, you know, from the mapping, get on your quad or even just drive your truck. If you can drive in on the oil lease roads, just drive your truck and look for tracks. And then I try to I try to get a little further back if I can, you know, park the, park the rig and unload the quad and go in from there. And it's the same thing if you want to go down cut lines and stuff. Because here in Alberta, we got hundreds and hundreds of, you know, cut lines. Endless, and they just, yeah. They just go through the bush everywhere, right? And then you got seismic lines that kind of twist and turn their way through the bush. Um, get on those things and either either hike them or get on your quad and walk them. And what I'm looking for there, because it's mostly vegetation that's pretty pretty grown up, I'm looking for game trails that are now crossing my path as I'm going down. And once you see, you'll see ones that aren't worn very good. But once you see one that's like worn black to like dirt, you're like, Iowa. oh, yeah. man, you better be checking that out. So now I'm checking, okay, which direction are the tracks going on that one? And then, again, I'm looking at my map, and I'm saying, okay, why are they going over that way? There's a reason they're going there. And uh, from there, 
you now you get on those game trails and i mean you'll find wallows you'll find meadows in the middle of the bush you'll find feeding areas they'll take you to to bedrooms they'll take you to rub lines i mean from there it's awesome they take you everywhere and honestly that's how i find all my new spots it's you just can't be scared to get on the game trails and get deep in the bush and just keep following them. And well, I'm probably my own worst enemy because I'm bad on those game trails. You get following it. And then one trail leads to another, another trail leads to another. And it's like, Oh, well, there's kind of a ridge over there. I wonder what's over there. Right. I'll go check that out. So you'll follow more game trails over to that spot. And before you know yeah. it, you're like, where's the rig at? <laughs> so before you, <laughs> exactly. Before you leave your rig, don't forget to mark it on your map so you can work your way back eventually. And that's kind of yeah. how I do it. I'll I'll kind of make it so I can work through an area and then kind of scout the bottom end of it and then come back a different way, back to where the truck and quad is parked. And so you're kind of doing basically a big loop is what you're doing. And uh, right. man, it's it's addicting. Like for me, that's the addiction right there. And then when find you start finding, spots, yeah. yeah, you find those spots and then, Come come archery season when you get to go into those spots, and now you got bugling elk in those spots. Oh man, even That's better! <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So, are you a camera guy too? Do you put trail cams out when you find a good yeah. spot? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, up until the last probably three or four years, I wasn't honestly a real camera guy. Um, they're just so expensive and. I'm not really a techie guy, you know, with Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. So cameras, it's another thing that's pretty techie, right? It's, you got you to learn how to format cards and be tinkering and playing with all that kind of stuff. But in the last couple of years, I've kind of come into my own, you know, with the, the cell cameras and stuff. They're, they make the game a lot easier and you can be home scouting while all of a sudden there's pictures of moose and elk popping up on your phone. Um, honestly, those have changed the game for us. And I use those a lot in, in new new areas and old areas I like. And it's just it's just another tool that's just awesome. And it's fun, you know, you get those evening pictures and early morning pictures and it's like yeah, okay. Even my wife is the same. Like she grabs my phone, she's like, Oh, what what's on the what's on the cameras now, right? And she'll scroll through all the different cameras and <laughs> see what came through. So yeah, it's it's yeah, a great tool. Sure. Yeah. They are, yeah. Um we have We've got laws in BC here that uh, we're not allowed to use the cell cams during hunting season, but okay, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, just even in the preseason stuff, it's awesome. And yeah. uh, in fact, I was chatting with a buddy earlier, just before the podcast, we were talking about an area that we're going to hunt together for elk later on in the fall. And the rut's a little bit later in the spot. And I, oh, asked, okay. I said, so when do you think the peak rut will be? And he sent me a text <clears throat> picture uh from his trail cam and it was a bull mounting a cow and it was like the 20th of <laughs> you know i actually was the 27th of of september he yeah. says yeah you're right the rut's a little bit later so um, <laughs> yeah yeah awesome so yeah. uh let's get back to the uh the alcon so you get your spot um what's your approach um obviously i'm sure you use the wind to figure out where you're going to go like if you've got multiple spots and you're you're hunting I'm assuming you're hunting pretty close to home. So you've, you probably have a game plan that changes every day on where you're going to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you know, I checked the night before on your weather app and see, okay, we're going to have a Southwest wind. We're going to have an East wind, something like that. From there, I'm literally, Oh, excuse me. I'm literally looking for, okay, 
I like to have two or three spots because now I'm going to be, you know, centered on in the morning, what's going to happen in the morning. So, and honestly, it all starts like, as soon as I'm driving out to one of the spots that I've picked, uh, literally because I'm only 45 minutes from home to where I normally hunt, uh, maybe an hour most, um, I'll stop on the highway when I get out in the country and I'll park the truck on the side of the road and stand in the middle of the road in the dark and, you know, just, hmm, which way is the wind going, right? Okay, now you're confirmed. We got the same wind that it said it was going to do last night. And uh, so now I'll start, okay, I'll go to spot A, a B, C, whatever one I figure I want to go to. And that's all decided by my scouting previously, um, unless it's early season. Um, I kind of have a game plan early season, the first two or three days, the first two or three mornings, uh, for sure. Those are used for hunting bedrooms, uh, only, um, that's kind of one of my solo hunting tactics and a bedroom is found the year previous, basically. And that's all from walking the game trails. You know, you'll be walking the game trails in the middle of the bush and all of a sudden you'll find trees that are just tore up and it's usually like spruce trees and pine trees will come into a little little thicket and it'd be like a corridor the main trail kind of goes right through it all but every tree that you're looking at for 50 60 yards is just tore up and that's basically a a bull's bedroom right so Mm -hmm. anytime i see those i mark those on my map and now you got a spot to go check out next year and if i find two or three in a year perfect they're all marked in there now you got two or three two or three mornings right and Mm -hmm. uh those are kind of some of my favorite bulls to hunt because they haven't been pressured all year. They've had a whole year to calm down. They're very naive. So you slip into those areas and you don't got to get close, you know, 150 yards away kind of thing. I'll set up, you know, right on the side of a game trail and check the wind, make sure you got the wind right. You're on the downwind side. So they got to come looking for you. And I'll literally just start and I'll, the sequence is so simple. I literally start with a little bit of tree raking and I do that for about a minute to minute and a half, two minutes, just tree raking. And then I'll stop and I'll be silent for about two minutes. And so then, Trav, uh, yep. sorry to interrupt. Quick question then. So uh, if you're going straight to the bull's bedroom, are you, yep. are you trekking through the bush in the dark, like pre-dawn? You're trying to get as close as you can to that spot? Yeah. So, okay. So in, in the summertime, I will have hiked into those spots once or twice just to mm-hmm. find the easy access. And uh, I want to go into these spots on the game trail so I can be as quiet as I possibly can. So now, yeah, now it's like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm in there. I'm hiking these game trails ever so slow. It's not a race. You're not running. You're not doing anything. you got to remember you got tree roots and you got sticks and you got logs that could be laying across so you know you're kind of just ninjing it back you know back into there you know going nice and slow and then once i i'm always looking at my map on the phone so i know how far i am from that supposed bedding area what had all the rubs and that's all i try to do you know get 150 140 160 yards kind of thing in that general area and have the wind in your favor that's the most important thing and then yeah basically start into my routine raking some trees for a couple of minutes and then go absolutely quiet for five, 10 minutes. And basically what you're going to happen, you're going to pique the interest of that bull that you think might be in that bedroom. 
you don't know yet. You haven't heard no bugles. You haven't heard anything. Um, and by you just raking a tree, you're probably still not going to hear anything. Um, so then after about five, 10 minutes of me just, you know, being there, sitting there watching ever so vigilantly for any kind of movement. Um, and then I'll go into a little bit of a calling routine and I'll usually start off with a little bit of chuckles, um, some little whines and groans and stuff like that. And basically what that is, is just a bull that's, you know, he's filling his oats and kind of thing. And he's, he's rubbing trees mm -hmm. and anytime a bull's rubbing trees and, and moaning and groaning, it's almost like he's showing off for the girls that could be in the area or something like that. So that's kind of what I do. I portray a bull that's doing that. And you can imagine that bull that's in the bedroom, he's going to be hearing this and he's going to be like, okay, well, who's this new dude in my area? Like, I don't like this one bit. Right. So after you do your sequence two or three times, and that's usually all it really takes, um, that bull's going to come search you out. And, most of the time, early in the season, he's going to come looking. He's going to be very quiet, so you won't even know he's coming. So once once I get into my little calling sequence, and I'll just kind of show you. So pretend I've raked the tree for a minute or a minute and a half. Now I'll get into the second part of my calling routine, and it'll just be really quiet, low-tone type sounds like a real bull would, do, bull would do. I'm just trying to be – I'm only trying to put my sounds out there like – Pretend you're trying to call like 50, 60 yards out in front of you. So it's really quiet and really low. So it'd be something like this. Literally just do sounds like that for... 30 seconds to a minute. It doesn't take long and just have fun with it. You know, get in with it, take your bugle tube and swish some grass and hit a couple little twigs, you know, make it as realistic as you think you can, like, you know, portray that you're a bull actually doing it and having fun doing it. And then again, just mm -hmm. go totally quiet for five, 10, 15 minutes. And really be, you know, if you have binoculars or whatever, we all have binocular harnesses. So grab your binoculars and walk, look through the trees and, you know, look around because, this is the best scenario. Now that bull has heard you, now he's going to come searching for you. And that's the best thing you could ever have. A bull that's searching you out, he's moving, but you're stationary, right? So the minute you start moving and have to go to an elk, you're on his battleground and he's watching for that movement. The minute you make movement, he sees it, he's gone. So now you've put the odds totally 100% in your favor. He's got to come search you out. You're making the sounds, and now you're ready. You have an arrow knocked. If you see him coming, don't do any more calling. Just let him search you out, you know. And mm -hmm. they can pinpoint you to exactly where you are. You know, I'm sure you guys have found that, you know, if you're calling from a spot, they can walk within five feet of you. Like, they know exactly somehow from 100 it's yards amazing. out. Yeah, they know where you are. So just yeah. let it unfold. It's it's the most magical morning of hunting you will ever experience. It's it's absolutely awesome. Yeah, I mean, you you, you touched on it there. That was something I was going to bring up later in the in the interview. Here is it just blows your mind how they can track the sound and where it's coming from. I mean, we had this last year. Uh, we were working a bull, and 
yeah, he was moving in and I'd say he was probably 150, 200 yards and we we're in really steep terrain, real nasty bush yeah. in Southwestern BC, Southeastern BC. And all of a sudden he sent a cow in and, you know, he stopped bugling and this cow came over the ridge from a hundred yards through the timber and walked straight up. I mean, she was what, three feet from you, Blake, like walked right to you. And it just looked like, wow, it's just crazy how they know. So yeah. I think that's that's a danger a lot of uh, something people do maybe and i'm guilty of it myself you don't think they know where you are so you're calling in that last couple minutes to try to try to close the deal when realistically that bull knows exactly where you are you don't need to make that call right yeah exactly yeah and that's what you can only hope for right it's uh you know just let them search you out and have fun with it and I mean, that's why we're there. We want to have fun. Yeah, we definitely want to fill the freezer. No doubt about it. But like to me, elk calling and stuff like that, it's it's a chess game that you just want to keep playing and you want to play it over and over. You know, even if you call in like a spike bowl or a three-point or something that you don't even want to shoot, honestly, just play with them. Play with them as long as that elk will be in your lap and let you play with them. You're, you're going to learn so much. And I think that's where most guys fail. Soon as they see an elk, well, now they pipe up and they're they're scared to make any sounds whatsoever. But for me, it's the exact opposite. That's when I really turn my calling on, and I want to see what I can get away with. You know, especially if it's a bull that I'm not going to shoot anyways. Well, you really have nothing to lose, so throw some sounds at him. You know, throw some little spike squeals. See what he does. Throw a lip ball at him. See what he does. You know throw a cow call, a mew, anything like that, rake a tree right in front of him. What, what's he going to do, right? Um, I took my buddy out, uh, Dylan, uh, we were out last year, the year before, and we called this little three-point in, and three-points are legal. Anything three-point and bigger here in Alberta, you're allowed to shoot in my area. And uh, so, we called, sure enough, we called in this three-point. Um, Dylan was the shooter that day. Well, he had his sight set on something a little bit bigger, obviously, this was like the first morning out kind of thing. So we thought, well, let's just play with this guy and see what he'll do. Well, we had that elk in our lap for 45 minutes. And he put on the best show for me and Dylan that you could ever want. And there was one little tree that was kind of behind me off to my left. And I was kind of up right against it. So I kind of turned. It's kind of like one of those little willow trees that's only like six feet around kind of thing. Well, in the end, it worked out. This bull was on the other side of it. So I literally, I reached forward and I pulled some of the branches off, like all the leaves off one branch. And I was just bent forward, just pretending like I was eating them and I was dropping the leaves and they were like going down to the ground. And honestly, this bull is just kind of looking at me going, what the heck? Is, he's eating those leaves, but What's wrong with him? they're going to the ground. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I, the elk starts pulling on the branches on the other side of the willow like six feet away yeah. from me right so that's awesome it was pretty cool yeah and then he then he literally walked about 20 yards away from dylan right beside him and uh, started raking a tree you know just put on an absolute awesome show you know just so that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about it's just you got to be scared not to try stuff and i don't mm -hmm. mean like move fast and like do stuff but move really slow and see what you can get away with and i think guys will be really surprised you know um, I kind of learned that from my dad. Like, he was a rifle hunter, and as soon as he saw an elk, he thought, "Oh, I gotta shoot right now, or he's gonna get away." But 
I mean, it's not that way. It's like be patient and move slow and enjoy the enjoy the moment and see what happens, right? And you're gonna find the octus isn't like, gonna run away, <laughs> right? So. Yeah, I think they, you know, again, um, I certainly don't have the experience you do, but I've, I've had a lot of crazy encounters. One of the areas in BC is kind of broken into different regions for legality when you're hunting elk. And yeah, uh, in the south, southeastern uh, portion of the province or most of the southern half of the province is all six point or better for rifle. Uh, yeah. There's some opportunity for smaller bulls earlier in that, but we're we're rifle hunters. So my experience has all been with um, six points for the most part. Yeah. And we've called, we've called in a lot of five points and four points. Blake, I've been trying to get Blake yeah. and elk for like six years, seven years. Um, yeah. We've called our share. I had a situation uh, three years ago. I was up, I was up a few days earlier uh, scouting around and uh, right at, uh, right at opener. And I think it was like the 10th or 11th of September. And, um, I bumped into some guys at the end of this logging road and two young guys had shot a six point in the morning and they were just packing it out and got it to the truck. Awesome. And, uh, I was chatting with them and they told me, they said, look, dude, there's, we're tagged out, we're going home. But yeah. you know, this morning we had four bulls going in this, in this, uh, log out. So awesome. you should come back. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, all right. So I wasn't really hunting hard. I came back the next day and it was like one o'clock in the afternoon 30 degrees out i drove oh. to the end of the landing parked my truck got out i walked 10 feet off the you know away from the truck and i did a location bugle and i had two bulls torch off and i was like holy shit so i grabbed my rifle bailed down got in there was sort of some regrowth you know 10 foot uh, christmas trees i started to get into those to set up and beyond that it was complete dark timber like just exactly oh. where you would want I know. So I started calling and <clears throat> as far as I could figure out, it was a scenario with um, a cow, a bull that had some cows and then a satellite bull. And I ended up okay. calling, the, I called a, a small five point in and he was, like you said, he came right in. I learned, I learned so much in that hour and a half. I played with that bull. Yeah. And I was able, I was able to move and I had the wind perfect. And and the lesson there, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, wind is more important than movement, I think, when you're hunting yeah. elk. Like, like you said, if you move really slow and try not to make eye contact if that bull or cow or calf is close, you know, you'd yeah. be surprised what you can get away with. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. How do you yeah. handle um, – so that's the early, early season. So you've got the bull without cows. You try to sneak yeah. into his bedroom. Uh, how yeah. do you handle a situation, say, like, you know, a week later you come back and bulls are starting to congregate and get cows? What's your yeah. strategy when you get out of the truck in the morning then? I'm sure you're, it's a little bit different, yeah. right? Yeah, so in, in, in that time here, like in, in Alberta, we'll, we'll go through the first four or five days. You'll actually have a lot of bugling action, and you'll have the bulls are establishing their pecking order kind of thing. And then all of a sudden you hit a lull, and it'll be like from, say, September 1st or 2nd until like September 10th. So you'll have an eight or nine day lull where you jump on the truck and you're bugling and you're covering ground and you're doing everything right, but you're not getting a peep. You're like, you're not hearing nothing. Um, so in those instances, it's, it's a matter of getting back down in the deep bush, you know, on those game trails. What I find with those elk is you gotta, you gotta kind of, 
break their bubble of 100 yards, and then they'll finally pipe off and make a really quiet type sound, or you'll they'll hit their antler on a tree just to tell you that they're there or something like that. Um, so that's that's how I handle those times when it's really quiet. And us as hunters, we all go through that, and it's very frustrating. I mean, even for me, it's frustrating. You know, you're walking miles and miles every day for 10 days straight, and you're not hearing a single bugle. And you get home, and I, I ask my wife, like, what am I doing wrong? Like, you bugle, and you call, and you do this, and, you know, you think, well, there's out there. There's fresh tracks. There's fresh green poop and stuff like that so you know they're there but they're just not talking right it's just you haven't got into their zone yet to make them have to reply to you really so then from there i find from september 10th on then it's it's hit and miss any day they can just the 10th they can just all of a sudden start firing off and you're good till like september 20th you've got bugles all the way through um so it gets a lot easier now you can call in you know, like you're saying, all the satellite bulls that are harassing all the herd bulls and stuff like that. Um, I used to get in the rut of trying to chase a herd bull in the morning when he's got his cows and he's trying to go back to bed. Um, I used to push them and push them and try to get him to turn and all kinds of stuff like that. And it's really hard to turn a herd bull like that once he starts moving with his cows. You know, he's pushing cows. He's been harassed all night by the satellite bulls and you're just one more satellite bolt coming in and you're, you're just adding to his frustration. So he, he hasn't re, paid any attention to the other satellite bolts. So why would he pay attention to you? Right. Um, that makes sense. So, yeah. So you're kind of just in the mix of that one. So you got to kind of turn your, your thing. And I know you guys are in the six point zone, so this probably wouldn't work for you, but um, for me that, you know, you're just, out there and you want to call as many bulls in as you can and maybe throw one in the freezer uh so a four or five point is going to be fine for you and that's what most of those satellite bulls are going to be i mean you might find a small little you know dinker six but most of them are going to be four and five points so um the only thing you can do on that and what i found works for me and, and it's hard to do because these move these up move so fast I mean, one of their paces is like three or four of my short little legs, right? We got a short little yeah. fat guy trying to parallel these elk up, up these ridges and getting into their bedding area. But if you can just kind of keep up with them, you don't have to run beside them. Just kind of keep tabs on where they're going. Let them get two or 300 yards ahead of them. That herd bull is still going to bugle to his cows and tell the cows what he's where he's going, where he wants to be and stuff like that. The cows are just going to lead the way, and eventually they're going to get to their bedding area. They're going to pop down. They're going to lay down, and the bull's going to be right there with them. So even though if you're two or 300 yards behind, you're going to now, you're going to slowly catch up. And now, pretty soon, you're 150 yards from that herd bull and his cows. So at that point, you know, that herd bull's pretty worked up. He's probably still bugling from his bed. You know, he'll bugle till 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, once later in the season 15th you know september 20th in that area he'll scream for another hour for sure so you can either just sneak in on him and try to get really close for a shot or you can just play the waiting game get on the outskirts let him let him lay down with his cows for a little while he's going to sleep for three or four hours and then he's going to get up and he's going to scent check those cows again just to see if any of those are coming into estrus 
And at that point, that's a really good bull that you can call in, you know, now just go in and portray that you're a bull that, you know, maybe scooped in and stole one of his cows, let out a cow, couple cow, you know, screams, couple cow mews, and then go into like a breeding sounds like start raking and portraying for that cow and that bull's going to walk over to you. So now you got a really good chance of shooting the herd bull. That's probably a big six by six, what you guys are after, right? So sure. it's just, you just have to really think of their mentality and where they're going and what they're doing. And I mean, that's obviously really hard for the first year hunter to know that kind of stuff. But but I've been hunting with my dad since I was six or eight years old. So I, you kind of learn these sure. things as, as you go. And, and to be quite honest with you, for me, it's been a lot of trial and error and a lot of failures. So don't take that personally. Like these elk are going to, they're going to whoop you. I don't care if you're Corey Jacobson, the best caller on the planet. These elk are going to whoop you no matter what you are. I mean, you're a beginner caller. They're going to whoop you. You're, you're a good caller. They're going to whip you. They win nine and a half times out of 10, right? So yeah, exactly. just, you know, just be prepared for it and, and know that's the nature of the beast. These things spend their whole life getting away from hunters, getting away from cougars, getting away from wolves and bears. And they've seen it all. They've done it all. And they know, I swear to God, when we bugle to a bull, they know that it's a hunter and, if you get the right bull, I think he just wants to play the cat and mouse game with you and just see yeah. how big a fool he can make of you. <laughs> so, and they do, you know, it's, you'll start at one spot and he'll take you in a great big circle and you'll end up back on your tracks and you'll be like, man, this looks, uh, oh, shit, I was just here like an hour ago and that bull took you back around to the exact same spot. You know, for, for sure. sure he smelt you and he don't even care. He smelt you and you know he's not you and he still played the game with you right so <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean you you get the smart bulls and uh there's i don't care like you said you can be the best caller on the planet but yeah you know more often than not he wants to find out what you are for sure right he's yeah. coming in just yeah. to confirm is this human or is it elk right yeah so 100 uh, let's talk about that situation for a minute trav where you got sure you got the herd bull and you figured out where he's going to bed. Um, yeah. For a lot of a, a lot of the BC guys, that means top of the mountain on the darkest side, yeah. you know, in a nasty spot, but that's why we e-scout, you know, that's why, you know, why you have all the preseason scouting and, and you got to, yeah. you got to kind of know where they're headed or have a general idea. So let's yeah. say you get close, you start to hear cows or you hear elk, you know, mumbling around. What's yeah. your approach? Um, let's say he's bedded down for say two hours and he's getting up yeah. two, three hours, he's getting up the scent check. Um, what type of bull elk are you going to be when you're coming in? Yeah. Are you small, medium, big, pissed off? Like what's your yeah. strategy there? How do you, do so you first off, in? yeah. So first off with, with something like that, like you say, the wind is, the wind is your enemy, no matter what. And so you have to figure out, okay, do you got an East wind? Do you got a Southwest wind? You got to figure out which direction you got. And from that moment on, like say you're hunting the steep hills of BC. For me, I like to get up on the same level basically as what that bull is. Um, because now they can just come across the hill towards you or drop down a ravine and come back up and have a look at you. Um, but now you're also in the hill. So now you got to think about thermals. So that's a whole different beast. You know, that's wind direction. Plus it's, 
the air that's heating and cooling. So for the people that don't know what thermals are, it's in the evening, the air cools, anything that's cold falls. So as the morning sun comes up first thing in the morning, that air is going to be cold and it's going to be going down the mountain. Well, there's a switch around 8, 8.30 in the morning. The sun's come up. It's now warming that air. So it's like a hot air balloon effect. It's warming that air. All of a sudden, that hot air is going to start rising. So that's your that's your thermals. That's your scent. That's your stink. That's basically going up the mountain and down the mountain. So that's why if the bull, if you know where he's bedded and you can hear him, you can hear the cow calls, like you said, try to get on the downwind side of him and be on the same same height, basically, like be parallel across from them. And then you kind of have the thermals figured out at that point. Now it's just the wind direction and you're downwind of them. Now you, you've got all the odds in your favor for the wind. So if he's going to come over to, to check you out, he's, he's at risk, you know, because he's not using the wind in his favor. So in that scenario, that, that's a real fun one because, well, most guys would go in there and think, okay, well, I'm dealing with a herd bull. Um, so you got to think, I guess I should back up. So most guys are going to fall into the category of being cow callers or buglers. So you got to kind of pick your craft. Like for me, I love bugling and I like portraying that I'm a bull. Um, I, I, I'm not a big cow caller. I'm not, if I do any cow sounds whatsoever, it's going to be a calf call. Um, just for the simple fact that, you know, a calf call is going to attract a cow. A, ca a calf call is going to attract a spiker. It's going to attract the bigger bulls because the bigger bulls are coming to see what's going on. You know, why is this little guy making so much noise, right? You make a fuss, things are going to come and look. Um, so my whole thing is I really like being the bull. And it all starts out with the simplest thing on the planet, raking a tree. I mean, a four-year-old kid can rake a tree. You know, like I took Jason out last year. He's got two boys. Well, they're my rakers, you know. Here, grab that stick and make some noise. You know, <laughs> let them have fun. Let them go crazy. They're great little rakers. So, but if you're by yourself, start raking a tree. And then just that action alone may bring that herd bull over, believe it or not. Because any time you start raking a tree, you're displaying for cows. That's the whole aspect of it. You're not trying to show that bull, oh, look at how hard I raked this tree. I'm the biggest bull. I'm the meanest guy on the planet. No, that that's not even their mind. He's raking that tree just to show the ladies, hey, baby, what what's up? Like, look at how awesome I am raking this tree. You know, come have a look at me, right? So, so anytime you rake, you got to think, okay, you're frustrating that bull because you're trying to call his ladies to you. And you know what happens when you, you frustrate a bull, he's going to come have a look, right? So, and if that doesn't work, you know, say the raking doesn't work. Now you just pick it up a little bit, make your raking a little bit more aggressive, you know, get a little bit louder, stomp your feet. Um, still, you know, you fire a bugle at him, throw an advertising bugle, which an advertising bugle is just a, a, a so location bugle is just a high note, one or two or three high notes. Not very aggressive. Everybody can do it. An advertising bugle or some other, some people, you know, some people call it display bugle, advertising bugle. It's the same bugle. It doesn't matter what you call it. Um, all it is really is a shorter location bugle with a growl on the end, right? So if I do a location bugle, 
pretty nonchalant. There's not much to it, right? But an advertising mm-hmm. eagle, now shorten it up a little bit. Shorten it up and growl. <laughs> See how the difference is? Now you're actually advertising to those cows saying, hey, look at my awesome bugle. I sound pretty good. I'm worth checking out, right? Because you got to think in the elk world, the cows are picking which bull they want to breed with. So if you can portray that you sound better and than the bull that they're actually with, the cows are now going to come over to have a look. And if they start, you know, wandering over, the bull's definitely going to get up and take notice. Crap, I'm losing my girls. I got to go see what's going on, and I got to contend with this dude, right? So now he's going to try to push you out. So that's kind of why that's kind of one of my favorite things. And honestly, I do that right from August 25th. I'm playing that scenario right through till into October. You know, it's, it's one of those things that works all the time. You're all these bulls, no matter what, one of those herd bulls is going to get whooped by another bull, no matter what. And there's going to be a new herd bull with those girls. So it might take three or four days or it might take two weeks, but sooner or later, he's going to get run down. He's going to get tired. He's fighting off all these satellite bulls. There's going to be a bigger bull that just comes wandering around and whoops his butt and pushes him out. And now he's the king of the pack, right? So now you got a whole new bull that you can play with because he hasn't been called in by you. So that's kind of the fun part, you know. And if you've moved, say, like in my areas, I'll usually hit an area once or twice in the morning kind of thing. And then I'll move off to three or four miles away. I'll go hit, you know, bull B or bull C or bull D. You know, you always have those other ones that you can go play with, and and maybe you haven't called to those this year. So, you know, go play with one of those and give these other bulls a break kind of thing. And, um, yeah, so it's always fun. That that scenario works time and time again. It's just – it's your advertising sequence. If you guys listen to Paul Medell, the Elk Nut, it's like an yeah. advertising sequence, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if, uh, if some of your listeners don't know who Paul is with the Elk Nut, Look him up. He's literally called the Elf Nut. He goes through, you know, like you mentioned, he's got the slow play advertising. He's got the breeding sequences, all these different sequences that you can go in the bush and you can play with and you can portray different, you know, different scenarios, you know, throw a cow party, throw a bull party. You know, if you got buddies with you, two or three buddies, just everybody grab a cow call and just start making a commotion same thing yeah exactly yeah it's it's fun you just never know what's going to happen and i mean you're out there so you're you're there to have fun any any day elk hunting is way better than being at work so (laughs) yeah for sure so um let's say you're in that scenario where you've got the herd bull he's got his cows he's in the bedding area you've snuck in it's 11 o'clock you managed to get him up um you're still 100 yards this has happened to me before several times and yeah you get him up and he's screaming but he won't come in he's just standing his ground out of sight yeah what's travis what's your what's your silver bullet to get him to come in like you must you, have i'm sure there's a couple different things what what do you suggest yeah you, you got the wind in your favor everything's kind of in your favor that way so you're just yeah he, he's bugling but he's standoffish He's not coming. Yeah, he's not okay. coming that last 50 yards to get in sight or whatever, right? So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So 
that's kind of a hard one because you've been bugling to him the whole time, so he knows you're there no matter what. Um, so you've you've lost the element of surprise. Um, so you're basically going to have to honestly. What I would do, I would either start bugling to him really aggressively, but then one of my tactics is to start drawing back and you know go back down the game trail. Is if you came up, you've pressured him, and now you're you're backing out. You're like, okay, you do win. I'm gonna back out of here. The minute you start doing that, you start going away. It's that cat and mouse game. He's gonna start sucking forward because you're moving back. He wants to see that he's pushing you out of his area. So once you get 150 yards or 200 yards back, just go silent and maybe move off to the side. You know, go through the bush off the game trail, 20, 30, 35 yards. Kick the ground down real nice to nice soft dirt and just stand there super quiet. Like put your shoulder up against a tree and literally just hang out. You're going to find a lot of times you'll suck that bull right in. He's going to come down the trail looking for you because it's nothing for them to cover 100, 150 yards. Like he'll do that in like in his sleep basically. Yeah. Yeah, It's nothing for them. So they're four wheel drive creatures. They, (laughs) they can move. Mm -hmm. So, you know, try that little tactic and you, You'll be surprised how many bulls you suck in by that. And he'll be screaming the whole way. Well, now you see he's coming and you're moved off the game trail. That's one of the keys. Move off the game trail. He'll literally come right up to where you are and he'll walk right by you. So just let him keep coming. Um, If something like that doesn't work, the other thing you can do, and this is more apt for what I would like to do, I would grab a tree and I would beat the living crap out of that tree with a big stick and get as ferocious and aggressive as you possibly can and just scream at that bull. And like, when I say like scream, you're not lip balling. You're, you're literally just screaming like, ah, so it's like literally like, like get super aggressive with it and just hammer that, that call is, as loud and as sharp as you can, but keep it really short. When you keep a cow, when you keep a bull sound short and aggressive, it means violence. Like it, it, it provokes a response. So that's your whole mm-hmm. game. So you've been just destroying this tree, and what, what you're doing is you're really displaying for those cows again. But now you're a ferocious bull that has to be noted, and he's got to come look at you and his eyes going to roll in the back of his head and he's going to be just mad at the world. He's coming to kick your butt and push you out of there. And I mean, it's, it's awesome. If I can say oh, yeah. that, honestly, like, yeah, it's for the sure. best scenario you can hope for, right? That thing is just mad. He's slobbering all over himself and he's, he's ready. So that's one thing that works a lot for me. So, so I've had uh, no, that's good stuff. I, I've never tried the retreat. I think that's that is yeah. an experienced, patient uh, tactic from someone who's yeah. you know been there a lot. Because I think what happens yeah. right is even if you've done it a few times and you've called in your bulls, your adrenaline is so jacked. Like I mean, you get a like just the simple, you know, the simple sound of a bull returning a location bugle as soon as you get out of the truck and hit the trailhead. I mean, you know, yeah. it's adrenaline, you know, one twenty overload, right? Oh yeah, um, you know. So the, that's a really hot tip. I mean, that we definitely yeah. Blake and I have had that situation before where we've got him screaming, but he just won't close the deal. 
Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about something a little different. Um, and I've heard different tactics. I've tried all kinds of things. I know um, I got this from actually when I was hunting in Alberta. Uh, one of the guys I was hunting with did this a lot. He would get out of the truck. Um, you know, we'd get out of the truck in the dark and start working yeah. into an area. And he would cow call just softly as we're walking down the game trail. And yeah. <clears throat> quite a few times you'd hear, you know, you'd either hear elk. You know, sometimes you hear cows responding to that from 100 yards away. Every once in a while you'd hear a bugle or sometimes yep. it depends if the wind wind was going the wrong way to the wrong herd, you get a stampede. Do you ever try yeah. that? Like, do you ever work a cow call in the dark or in, on your way in? Like, just to um, sound like elk moving? I honestly don't, but it just goes back to, to me, I, cow calling is kind of boring and I'm, I'm not yeah, that. Exactly. Um, I don't, I, I guess I shouldn't say it's boring. I, it's, I don't know. It's just something I don't want to do. I, um, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it really. Yeah, no, it's I just, get it. It's just, you're, you're a born cow caller or you're a born bugler. I mean, it, there's no in between. I mean, yes, I do cow call and I bugle a little bit, you know, but it's, there's certain times to use a cow call. Um, because I know for sure in, in Alberta, if I'm walking down a game trail and yeah, there's a certain bull. If you let out a cow call, you're one out of 10 bulls is going to come in and check you out, but the other nine are going to go the other way. So, and the reason being they're going the other way, uh, you hear Joel Turner talk about this. Um, you're a girl coming into their world and you're not mm -hmm. part of their group already. So why would, if you make a cow sound, why would those cows allow you into their herd with their boyfriend, right? They don't even know you. Um, Joel Turner calls them like the, uh, what does he call them? I don't even remember what he calls them, but a floozy or something like that. Like a the floozy. floozy. <laughs> why would those ones let the floozy come in, right? Yeah, so, for sure. and I've seen it time and time again you make a cow sound and those girls are going to round up and they're going to go the opposite way of you. And unfortunately what happens with that, now you have that bull that's a runner and we all have that. And it's because we've went in with a cow call, just, you know, just a simple. Mm -hmm. You know, as you're walking down the trail and we don't even think we're doing it, but automatically you're turning those off and you're turning them against you. Um, because you, you've had it, I've had it a hundred times. You take, you hear a bugle. Oh, okay, that bull, he bugled. Awesome. He's 150 yards ahead of me. Perfect. You move in. What us hunters do, we move in, close the distance, half that distance, bugle at him again. Okay. Well, now he's 200 yards away. What the heck? I just moved up halfway. I should be right on top of him, right? No, that's not the yeah. case. So those cows heard you cow call. They're already taken you know, action, they're moving out of the area, that bull's just following. And now the next wheel you hear, you'll hear the bugle at 250 yards. So you close the distance again. Okay, I moved up another 100, I'm 150 away. Next you know, he's 300 yards away. Crap, he's gaining on you, he's gaining. God. He's going further away and further away. And pretty soon he's over the next, you know, two or three ridges over and you're going, man, he just left me in the dust and I can't keep up with him. And what do I got to do to turn him, right? So in my experience, there is a way to turn that bull around for sure. And I've done it a number of times, but it requires that action of being very aggressive 
and now you've got to just break stuff and demolish every tree in the area and make stuff happen. Scream bugle after bugle after bugle. Make him think, okay, what's going on over there? I got to go see what's happening over there. Like there's a major ruckus going on and that bull's going to turn and he's going to come back. He's going to think, okay, well, you're really just playing hard for my girls. I'm pushing you out of here finally, right? So, and at that time, again, that's one of those scenarios where that bull is just going to be screaming at the top of his lungs at you. So, I mean, right on. I mean, you just can't be scared to try it. That's all. Most guys are, you know, they're scared to do stuff like that because they think, oh, you're going to scare them away. But you're not, you're not losing anything because that elk keeps going away from you anyways. You're going to lose them anyways. So, right? You, you might as well try, try right? You might as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so um you know that's awesome so we're gonna leave the cow call in our pocket for the first half of the season blake this time yeah so so this this next scenario has happened to me i mean it happened last year so many times um and i've had it over the years where you know you you you're in there at first light you know there's elk you know you got a spot you you know kind of where they're going you get to your spot before you know, you got the wind right and you let your location bugle go yeah. and you get, you get that really soft. Yeah. You know, basically you're at the top of the hill going, hello, anybody out there? And you yeah. get that. Yeah, I'm over here. And then you wait five, 10 minutes. You do it again. A couple minutes later, he replies and you just don't, you don't go anywhere, but just hello. How are you? Like, yeah. what's your tactic there? Are you going right in, try to cut the distance? I'm sure. No. Nope. That's the plan. No. So first off, I'm going to spend about like you, like you do. I stay in that spot for a good 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes. And I'll just call with that bull and I'll see what he's doing. So if that bugle moves, like say it's, it's, say it's over here, you know, like right in front of you and that bugle all of a sudden it's over to the side, a hundred, 150 yards. Well, that's a bull that's out searching. So that's basically a location bugle. And that's what he's doing. A location bugle is a bull that's on the move. But say your scenario, that that bugle is coming from the same spot time after time. Like you got three replies back, four replies back. Well, now that's a bull. That tells me right away that bull has cows. And it might, might be only one cow. It might be 20 cows. You don't know. But if a bull is staying in one spot, it's because he's holding his ground because he has girls. So now you have to kind of, okay, if it's a locating bull and he's on the move, basically I like to figure out well which direction is he going and I'll get on a game trail or I'll go through the bush until I hit a game trail and then I'll try to cut him off. And that's a bull where you can actually call over with like two or three cow calls. You can stay with your cow calls because he's he's a solo bull and he's moving. He's actually looking for cows. So when he bugles to you, he's telling you to come over. So that's a great time where you guys can throw that cow call at them and you'll actually call that bull in with cow calls. But you have to remember, every time he bugles, he's telling you to come to him. So don't stay back that 100 yards and not move. Go, okay, he bugled and you're scared to move, right? You have to move. You got to move. And so what I like to do, especially if there's two of you, get the shooter out front of you and have him 20 yards ahead of you and just keep going towards that bull you know at an angle if you can and then all of a sudden once you get you know kind of parallel to him stop 
and then basically your shooter is already going to be out front of you because you're kind of, you're both kind of if you're both shooting like say this is the shooter and you're the cow you're the cow caller so basically you're both moving in unison like down the trail together you know what i mean and yeah you're yeah. keeping him ahead of you so now when you get to that point where you've closed distance that's why I say go at an angle, get on a trail or a game trail that closes in on him just a little bit and then set up and then give out your cow calls. But don't just, you what I like to do, I like to make them stir on it. So I'll literally give them one cow mew and then I'll just sit there and wait, let it really get in. He's, he's going to be like, okay, great. There's a cow over there wait five minutes and let that bull just go, Oh, what's going on? I'm not here. And you're going to, he's going to bugle back probably two or three times in that five minutes, but you haven't said a word. So now that bull's like, he's going to start getting frustrated and he's going to be like, yeah, it's driving him nuts. Yeah. Why isn't this hot chick talking to me? Right? Like I'm calling to you. Beautiful. Like answer me back. So finally, after about five minutes, give him another cow mew, but just do one. So, do another one, right? Mm-hmm. Let him stir on it just a little bit, and it's just gonna grind on him. And he's gonna be like, "Screw it, I'm coming over." And he, uh, next you know, he's beelining right for you, and your shooter's at full draw, and you shoot him at 15 yards, right? Yeah, right so, on. Yeah, for sure. So, so that's the bull that's moving. So that's a locating bull, right? So the mm-hmm. other one is the mm-hmm. advertising bull. He's got cows. He's not moving whatsoever. So, in that situation. Now you got to try to try to pull Get that bull away from his cows. Well, how are you going to do that? Because he's got, you could have one cow, you could have three, you could have 10, right? So by going in there and cow calling, a cow call is not going to work. He's already got 10 cows, right? So one more doesn't make a difference to him. So now you got to portray that bull. You got to go in there and you got to, again, what I would do is I would throw in, you know, start moaning and groaning, and what you can do is like a tending sequence. And tending is just little moans and groans and just chuckles. So, you know, throwing some huffs. Throw in glunks. Glunks is a bull that's right up behind a cow. And he's literally, what he's doing, he's cleaning his sensories off his nose. So his tongue is like, he's cleaning those sensories so he can smell her. Because a bull that's glunking knows that there's a a cow in estrus. So he's basically feeling her out to see if she's ready. And if she'll stand for him, he's going to mount her. So yeah, so then he's so this bull is sitting there, and all of a sudden he hears the glunking and all that other stuff. Yeah. He's like, "Oh shit, there's another yep. guy, and he's got girls, yeah. and one of them's ready to rock." Okay, that's, that's right. Because cool. because right. he's amongst his girls, and none of them are an estrus, right? Yeah. So you could be you could be a bull and walk right into him. He could care less, and don't matter. Mm-hmm. You can't breed any of his girls anyways because they're not ready. But you being the bull outside with a cow that's ready, huh? He'll leave mm-hmm. those cows now. He'll come over and have a look at you because he's got nothing to lose. He might just steal it and get a new girlfriend. And now he's breeding her, right? Now, so, is there is there is this a situation where you maybe want to try a cow call too, or no? You just I totally would. No, yeah. 
the, too much the to do, you, right? Yeah, the minute you make a cow call, number one, those cows might gather up and leave, or he's not going to have a reason. He doesn't. A cow call doesn't require anything for for him to come over. You know, like it's it's not telling him anything. It's just oh, there's another girl. You know, big deal. I got ten already, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to give him a reason. And that reason is you're a bull getting ready to breed her. Holy crap. That's a pretty good reason. You know, like that's their yeah, whole existence. Exactly. Like that's why they're there. Right. Yeah, so that's what yeah. they're after. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, give them, that's good give them a reason. Yeah. I noticed right he on. had a, uh, Sheldon had a funny question in the chat too. He's asking Travis on average, how many hunters do you call in when you're out hunting? In a season. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's kind of different, but um, like let's see, last year was, you got to remember, I, I kind of hunt deep in the bush where I'm hoping there isn't other people, and I'm using really low, low tone sounds. Honestly, you're not going to hear me bugling and location bugling and be able to move in on me because I'm in the bush and I'm doing real light, low, low stuff, uh, but you still end up calling people in. Um it's honestly not not a whole lot it's like maybe a group of two or three guys that are walking along doing some stuff and um last year we only called in there was only two guys that came in on us and but i mean it's i guess it really just depends on the area that you're hunting and sure yeah you know grand prairie yeah i hunt the spirit river area a lot and there's a million hunters and but the thing is our crown land, it's like you guys in BC, our, our crown land is so vast. I mean, you yeah. go two miles down the road and drive up into the hills and you're into a whole different pocket of elk and you're away from the hunters again, right? So, I mean, it's it's pretty low. It's it, it's low. It's only a couple of guys a year, I'd say. And you know, as soon as you hear them call back, you know exactly. It's not yeah. elk, more often and than you, not. Yeah, and you get those guys that are devilish, and they want to call in people and just make a fool out of them. I'm kind of the other guy. I go quiet, and then I let them move off, and I, I don't really want to call them in. Well, for one, I don't sure. want to give my hunting areas up, so I don't really want them knowing where I'm hunting, especially if they haven't heard nothing or anything like that. Um, why, why give your hunting area away, right? Um, the only time I get... Um, I have had hunters that try to come in on, say you're working a bull and this, this happens every year. You're working a bull. All of a sudden you'll have someone from the other side and you can tell they're, they're an elk hunter because they're bugling and then they're cow calling right after it. That's a dead giveaway that that's a hunter. Cause in the real world, the bull, you don't hear this. Yeah, it doesn't happen. <laughs> the bulls and cows don't do that, right? No, no. But hunters do it every single time. So you you, uh, you kind of you listen for those stuff, right? And those guys, because you know they're moving in on you, and I hope like crazy that they can tell that you're a, you're a hunter trying to call this bull in. I don't know, maybe may, you know, maybe not. But yeah, those guys I will try to call in, you know, just for spite, but. <laughs> yeah exactly so, yeah so um this is another scenario that i've ran into a few times and i'm sure lots of people have 
you uh, you go into a spot that you're you're working and you get out, you're on the trailhead and you let a bugle go and you get four bugles back at the same time in a in sort of a pretty close proximity, maybe a couple hundred yards extreme of yep. each other. So you know you got a herd bull with cows and you got satellites. Yeah. Um, you know, and this happened to us a few years ago where it was like the herd bull and a bunch of smaller bulls around them. And we're trying to, you know, figure out first of all, you got to try to pick the loudest, nastiest one. And that's not always right. Sometimes yep. he's not the that could be a satellite. I had a I had a raghorn come in one time that sounded like the throatiest, nastiest seven, nine point, whatever, you know. Yeah. And he was exactly. just just a little shithead with a deep voice. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I guess that's, I don't think there's a tactic to that, but any tips for that? Like if you're trying to measure out what you're up against there, if you got, say, three bulls going or four? Um, so for me, the whole, my whole tactic is uh, I don't, I, I guess I can say I don't care what they sound like. For me, I'm going to play the wind and I'm going to go to the closest one that's in my advantage, you know. With um, the wind, yeah. Yeah. And if I have to work my way through all three or four of those bowls to get to one that's, you know, a big five or a big six or a seven by seven, then so be it. I mean, my way of thinking, at least you got to play with a bull that morning. And yeah. even if practice. you, yeah, it's good practice. And even if you take an hour to play with that bull, and it doesn't pan out, you can still work on to those other ones. But say it became like 10, 30, 11 o'clock, you know those bulls are going to be all getting to their bedding area and they're going to be shutting up pretty soon, right? So that's when you kind of you stop playing the game with them and you kind of work your way through them quite a bit faster. And you don't worry, really worry. If you blow one out, you blow one out. You just move on to the next one kind of thing. So just kind of up your odds. And if you have three or four bulls like that, pretty good, pretty good odds. You can probably call two of them in out of the four, and uh, and have a look mm -hmm. at them and see what they are anyway. So, yeah, yeah. that and like you said, it's, it's good practice, yeah. right? So yeah, it's all it's and it's hundred percent just dictated by the wind and what's what's my move, what's my advantage, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> no, it's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's I think in. In BC, for sure. I mean, our our elk populations are not as you know not as huge, obviously, as they are in uh, in the states, for sure. And yeah. you know, you get you, if you watch too many elk hunting TV shows, you get you know you get kind of numb to what might be the right tactic. But I like yours. I mean, if you yeah. find elk, take advantage of it, right? Yeah. Um, I guess that kind of brings me to you know another sort of. Um, I guess question regarding calling um, you see a lot of these guys in, in the high density elk areas with super aggressive competitive bulls with like lip balling and screaming and, you know, doing that, that whole game right to the bitter end. Is that yeah. something that's real realistic for you in Alberta? Like, are you, how often are you lip balling a bull and screaming at his top of your lungs at him, you know, in close proximity? Uh, yeah, honestly. Um, so the way I look at it, in Alberta, if we get on one elk in the morning, we had a hell of a morning. And yeah, it's probably the same exactly. in BC, right? I mean, we did something right. Like our elk population is 37,000, I believe, in Alberta. And I think you guys are like 68,000, something like that. So yeah, I don't know the number. I know. The, yeah. I, yeah. It's pretty close to something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, not mm-hmm. not a lot. So we take advantage of every single one we get. Um, but um, yeah, like some of those states, some of the big states have two hundred thousand elk and three. You know. Yeah, exactly. You look up Colorado. I think they're they're probably close to three hundred thousand. That's a lot of animals that you have chances to call in, right? Um, but going back to the question, um, I can think back in the last two years that I know for sure <clears throat> I've maybe lip balled to one bull, honestly. Yeah. yeah. So, but a lip ball isn't the, the be all end all, right? There's yeah. so many other sounds that, that are way more advantageous for you to use that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the minute you lip ball to a bull, well, you're either challenging challenging him with with a, a a ferocious lip ball, or you're actually screaming at him, where you actually are challenging him. You know, both those calls are pretty aggressive, and you run the risk of that bull just, you know, his cows Take rounding up and heading out, and that's what's going to yeah. happen. So, I mean, like a lot of our bulls are, honestly, the Alberta bulls are four and a half years old, but most of the herd bulls you know they're they're four point they're a five point that's our average age that gets shot right so and i mean it doesn't mean it doesn't mean a four and a half year old five point is going to have 20 cows um he's going to have four four or five maybe six right but there'll be mm-hmm. there'll be 20 five by fives that all have four or five right so yeah, exactly that that's how our alberta her- herds kind of split up you know, late in the season, in the winter, in in November, December, you will see herds of two, three hundred. You know, crossing the fields, but sure. in hunting season, it's one bull will have three, four cows. You know, mm-hmm. you know, three cows and a calf, right? So, yeah, and those bull, those littler bulls, like, yeah, it's just you. I don't want to get real aggressive with them to that point where I'm just traveling through the bush and just screaming, you know, lip balling um, because it's, yeah, you are going to get noticed by some of the bigger five points and six points. You may get a reply back, um, but Mm -hmm. it's very few. Like it's, I would say it's probably one out of eight or 10 bulls that's going to reply back to you. And so I'm Mm -hmm. not saying it can happen, but just be wary. We're not, we're not hunting that, that big numbers, right. That we can. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think the 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 mindset should be every every elk every bull you call is a, a magical potential yeah. elk that you've got to try and call them in. Yeah, hundred um, you know, percent. Yeah, having hunted Alberta, uh, you mentioned that Spirit River area. That's kind of the general area that that I've yeah. hunted twice, and yeah. um, two years in a row, it was like I think it was around like the twentieth of September was when we were hunting. Um, and it was middle of the day. We actually shot, uh, my buddy shot his bull at five point. It was like 11 o'clock in the morning in the deepest, darkest bottom of the, you know, one of those Peace River yeah. gorges. And, you know, we got the call. We had the bull calling, you know, right around eight o'clock, nine o'clock. We worked our way down and we're talking, you know, one or two bugles. That's it. You know, maybe an hour later, you get a small moan. We got close. Yeah, and we we did one bugle, and the bull came in silent. It took him about forty minutes, but you could hear him coming, yeah. and managed to shoot him. You know, like at eleven thirty, at like twenty yards with a rifle, and then ironically, the next year, 
almost to the day, to the minute, to the second, to the exact spot within 100 yards, we had the same thing. Both bulls came in silent. Yeah. Um, is that something you see a lot of, like, come around that that second, end of the second, start of the third week, I guess, probably from pressure, yeah. right? That, yeah. Yeah. And quite honestly, right from, <clears throat> right from opening morning, August 25th, right straight through. A lot, a lot of those bulls, I would say, like, 50% of them are going to come in silent. And... Mm-hmm. In, in, in all honesty, it might be even higher than that, but that's just the bulls that you see. You know, what yeah, about you the give bulls up. that are, what about those bulls that are over that second ridge that you can't see and they just kind of peek their eyes over and like, oh, yeah, oh, I see movement that's not right. And they go the other way, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And getting back to our age class, you know, those bulls aren't going to, they're not going to come around. They're, they're going to go the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think in those cases, like both of those scenarios, you know, we had we had location bugles. The bulls weren't coming to us. We yeah. still, I don't really know if either one of them had cows, but we came in. We played a really slow play game with them, and yeah. just patiently waited. And I think you know what I took away from that was, if you're close, if you're within a couple hundred yards, and you hear a bugle and then it goes quiet yeah um just wait it out right i mean that's that was our tactic because we just sat there and then it was like a half an hour later we heard a stick break and all of a sudden boom you could yeah. see movement you just sneaking right in yeah 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 so that's kind of one one of, that's kind of one of the things i do as well but the only thing i would do different from you is i would i would answer one of his bugles like wait till he fires off and then reply back to him with an advertising bugle just right and then at the end yeah but now i would bump up probably 50 or 60 yards and then Mm -hmm. i would totally go silent now Mm -hmm. as he's coming in he's searching for that sound that he knows is way back there so he's pretty safe and it doesn't give him the opportunity to poke his eyes up above that ridge and go oh what's over there right so yeah now you put it back in your odds and you can still go completely silent and if your buddy you're with a buddy just spread out a little bit, you know, get, get 30, 40 yards, you know, apart kind of thing. Yeah. Still be, still be in the area where you can see each other. Cause it's nice mm-hmm. to know when all of a sudden you see your buddy tense up or you see him reach for his bow or you see him go to full draw. Well, dang, something's going down, right? You something's might not happening. even hear or see that out cause they're coming in silent, but all of a sudden your buddy mm-hmm. goes to full draw. You're like, holy crap, this is going to happen, <laughs> right? So, Yeah, and I think that, you know, that kind of leads into one of my last um, topics I want to talk about is kind of doing that setup and setting up your location. I mean, Blake and I got pitched yeah. last year. We were uh, we were doing an evening hunt, and we're working this ridge that the, the elk were, they kind of moved up during the day to the top of this ridge, and then in the evening they'd work their way down. So for our evening hunt, there was no way for us to get around them. So we were working our way up, trying to kind of get in the way they were coming. The wind was right. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we had two bulls going after us or, or answering, coming in. Yeah. And the one we wanted to kill was above us. Because in BC, the, the bulls tend to want to come in from above you. That's just their, okay. their MO. So they got the height advantage. So we're sure. working we're working this one up top. And then all of a sudden, sort of to our left and down a little bit this other bull goes off and he's right there he's like less than 100 yards but we're stuck in this we're stuck in this little shithole we can't turn 
you know, even if we were, you know, I don't even think we could get a rifle shot off. So yeah, I think it's it's yeah. important to kind of map out. You got to have. I can't remember if it was uh, Chris Rowe or one of those guys I was listening to. They yeah. talk about the setup being like the almost like rooms of a house, right? So yeah. you're, you know, you want to set up in the living room and you're calling someone from the bedroom. You they want to come to a door and peek in, right? So maybe yeah, absolutely. give us a little insight on on your setup areas and what you look for. From, yeah. as from the caller and the shooter, how are you setting up? Yeah, so basically, you kind of, you peeked at it right there. You, you you know, he's peeking in the bedroom. So, and Joel Turner calls that uh, the doorway. Um, some guys call it the wall. They hit a wall and you can't get them past it no matter what you do. And that's a bull that comes into that area. And basically, once he can see the area where he, he knows the sounds are coming from, that's where he's going to stop 100%. So my way around that is exactly what I, what I kind of preluded to before there. I'll do some calling, but before I even do any calling, I'll go up 25, 35, maybe 40 yards. I'll kick the ground clean to where I want to stand. Then I'll drop back, do my calling. And then after I do my calling scenario or my one bugle or whatever I'm going to do, now I instantly go back to my shooting spot which is 35 40 yards ahead don't do any so this is solo this is when you're solo hunting yep i do this actually with buddies and stuff too yeah i'll either if you're with a buddy we'll move up we'll get a good shooting spot for him put him in spot then drop back and do your calling and i learned this from honestly the first bunch of elk that i ever called in and back then i was it was a lot easier to call an elk like 30 years ago. You could throw out a cow call and the bulls would come looking for you, right? So Hoochie mama. Hoochie mama. Actually, when I yeah. started, we didn't even have a hoochie mama. So, um, But what I found happened, I would be that guy and I would let out a call from standing in the middle of a cut line. And, you know, you just throw out one cow call and all of a sudden 100 yards down the cut line, out walks a cow elk and now she's looking at you and you're standing in the middle of the wide open cut line right you're totally busted yeah you're done like you're not calling that elk in no matter what you do don't care what strategy or scenario you throw at it you're not going to win it so and i got busted time after time after time i yeah i don't even know how many times i got busted just from doing you know we get complacent and I probably still do it to this day. I know I do. You call from the wide open where you're just, oh, maybe I'll just, I'll bugle from here and I'll just, see if just I rip get one from here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in our woods, our woods are so thick. There can be an elk 20 yards down and they're just going to step out and have a look at you, like peek around yeah. that tree, right? So, yeah. so I kind of learned my setup just from that. And it, and it, yeah. It came out of necessity. You literally have to find your shooting spot. And it's one of those things where you think when you're moving into that area and the areas out in front of you kind of look more elky and you kind of get, yeah. I guess it's your spider sense. Your spider sense starts tingling. You're like, hmm, that looks like a really good area. Like say you're approaching like a thicket of pines or those spruce tree thickets and stuff like that. And before that, you'd been in all poplar trees, right? Well, sure. out of knowledge with the elk, pretty good chance there might be either a moose bedded in there or an elk bedded in there or 
something bedded in there, right? So once you see those areas, and that's that's kind of stuff I look for on Google Earth as well. Most of our stuff's all poplar trees, and I'll look for those little patches of spruce trees or pines or a willow thicket, you know, stuff like that. And then I'm kind of working yeah. towards those areas intently. I'm thinking that something's sleeping there, right? And sure. so you know right away that's going to be um, a spot where they can just literally come outside of that and have a look, you know. So you're yeah. obviously not going to get real close to those areas. But if there's like some fallen down logs and stuff, I will get up off to one side of those logs, kick the ground out to bear, you know, kick the ground down to bear dirt. That's what I like to do. Because when you're standing in bare dirt, you know, kick it, kick a circle the size of the hood of your truck. Now you can move silently. You can turn quietly. You know, yeah, for you sure. can do what you need to do. And you're not standing on that dry grass that we have. Yeah. And uh, then from there, if you're with your buddy, leave him there and literally drop back that 20, 30, 40 yards and then do your calling scenario from there. So right <clears throat> it's, it's all about that human nature, the way we are. We want to call and then we want to move forward. We want to call and then we want to move forward. And most of us, we're not patient. Like elk, elk hunting is a patience game. Like you, if you think you're going yeah, slow sure. enough, and this is something Wayne Carlton taught me a long time ago. If you think you're going slow enough, he said, slow down another 50%. Yeah. So let that sink in. That's from one That's of the best elk time. hunters in the world, Wayne Carlton, right? Mm -hmm. and For sure. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, this is awesome, Travis. Uh, we are zeroing in on our, uh, our our live streams cap out at two hours, so we've got yep. like five five to seven minutes left. So I got one more question for you, sure. and then we're gonna we're gonna close out with a giveaway with the prize pack that you gave us, uh, generously donated. So uh, if you can tell us a short story about the craziest elk encounter that you've had in the bush, and I'm sure you've had some doozies. So yeah. So this this is where I learned to be aggressive. So I was hunting this bull uh, probably about six, seven years ago now. Giant seven by eight. First morning I went in and I thought, well, I'm going to cow call to him. It's, it's a bull. He's got like 15 cows. And so what, I'll set up the scenario. I'm walking in on kind of just a little ridge. And down below me, it's like a grassy meadow that's filled with you know, fresh little creek waters running through and it's chalked like by willows and stuff. And the yeah. elk are always in there because the willows are cool and the water is fresh and coming out of a spring. It's just awesome. But there's a ridge that kind of goes all the way around from the, from the west side to the north side. So I like to get up on this ridge when the wind condition is right and it's blowing, you know, from the, from the meadow area up to my ridge. And uh, mm -hmm. these, this bull's always in there with cows. And so I thought, well, I'm going to get him this, this first morning. I'm going to get him. And so I go in there and I'm in the pitch black first thing in the morning. And I'm sneaking down these game trails just ever so quietly. If I feel a little branch under my foot, I'm backing off and I'm stepping over it. You know, I'm doing everything I can be to get as close to this bull as possible. So, I honestly, the first morning I got to within like 75, 80 yards of them. And uh, what do I do? It becomes legal shooting time. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching him. He's on the other side of this grass meadow. And I've worked my way down this ridge. And I'm on the, I'm on 
just up the ridge just a little bit, but I can see through this the grass meadow. And I range find him at 78 yards. And I think, okay, well, I got him. So me not knowing, you know, this is six, seven years ago, I throw a cow call at him. Well, his girls did not like that one bit. I literally made one stinking cow call. His girls rounded up and took him over the north ridge. And I could hear him bugling to the girls, you know, his roundup bugle. And away they went, you know, it's like, oh, man, what did I just do, right? So the hunt was over. I went back home and uh, thought, okay, well, I'll try him again next morning. So the next morning, same thing. I go back in, sneak in. I can see them across the meadow. And I thought, well, the cow call didn't work. So, man, I'm going to bugle at him. So back then I didn't really know the language too good. So I just fired off a bugle, which was probably just a location bugle of some sort. Well, same thing. The girls rounded up over that north ridge, and he followed in tow, bugling the whole way. I could hear him three, 400 yards away just screaming his head off. Hunt is over. You're done. So I think, wow, that really sucked. That didn't work. So I thought, well, I'm not going to come back the next morning. I'm going to give him a whole day break. I'll come back, you know, the day after that, and I'll try him again. So. I went in there, and uh, I thought, well, whatever that bugle was, he didn't like it. So I got to try something different, right? So, um, again, I just I, I threw something out. I think I chuckled to him just to think, you know, because I think I read back then, if you chuckle at him, you, you invite him over, right? Because that's usually what a chuckle is. So I chuckled at him. The cows rounded up over the ridge and away he went just screaming his head off again well this is the third morning that i failed on this bowl so i was very frustrated and uh i used to carry my bow on on the side of my pack on a long little rope and uh, so i had my bow on there so out of frustration i grabbed the tree and i just smashed it you know i was pretty frustrated and i was cussing at this bull you know calling him a coward and saying everything in our language like i'm literally talking you're in swearing at him to this bull. yeah <laughs> like i don't care if i chase him out of here it was one of the last days i got to hunt anyways so i'm swearing yeah. at him you know f-bombs you name it whatever and i just destroy this tree like i i i started with a 12-foot tree and i had a one-foot branch in my hand at that time and lo and behold this bull turned and he started coming back at me and he's screaming, oh, shit. screaming and he's getting close now he's 35 yards away from me. I grab my bow and I go to knock an arrow and my string is limp on my bow. So in my oh, haste no. destroying this tree, I hit my bowstring off my cams. So there I am. Oh no. I'm bowless basically. And so I'm I have my one cam and I have it dug in the ground and I'm trying to push my limbs down <laughs> so I can get my string back on. This bow is 35 yards away, just he wants to go <laughs> so i'm backing back down my little game trail that i'm sneaking in on i'm back i'm retreating down this trail now this bull parallels me at 35 yards at the closest time he was like 25 yards away from me he paralleled me for a mile all the way back out to where my truck was oh, parked no. and he's screaming at the top of his lungs the whole way it was insane so that's oh, where man. i learned that's where I learned be aggressive and you'll turn those bulls. That's what right happened. Right on, right on. <laughs> oh, that's cool. 
Well, yeah. Trav, we we are down to like the last minute, and then we're going to hit the the thing's going to yeah. pull the abort button on us. So let's yeah. do. Uh, we have a giveaway from Travis, so let's do one more. It's a Wapiti River gift pack. Uh, got some reeds and a storage case. So Blake, pull that up. Meanwhile, Trav, if, if we get cut off, thank you so yeah. much. All right, buddy. Well, good luck. I'm looking forward to yeah. some picks, and uh, we'll get you back on after elk season and uh, see you how bet. you do with the elk, elk bros and stuff. But Sounds thanks again. Good. This was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. Good Good luck to everybody out there. I wish you all the best. And where do, where do we find you, Trav? Uh, Wapiti River uh -huh. Outdoors. Yeah, yeah. WapitiRiverOutdoors.com for all our reeds and tubes and everything like that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.